Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Sonic Central, the podcast for Freemasons by Freemasons. Now, here are your hosts, Greg Stewart and Dean Kennedy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Masonic Central, the podcast for Freemasons by Freemasons. It's March 7th. We've managed to somehow miraculously skip the month of February. How you doing, Dean? Uh, happy belated birthday for those who may not know. Just a, a little shout out to Dean for our, our, our little vacation. Thanks, brother. How you doing, brother? Thank you. I'm good. <laughs> Did you, have, you have a good one, man? I think good so. Time I don't really you. remember too much of it. <laughs> sign of a good time, sign of a good time. I know it's it's been a while. We've uh, we've had a few weeks off. I had a, a little bit of an emergency, and I apologize to everybody who is going to come on to to listen to our table talk a few weeks back. We've rescheduled it for the twenty first, I think. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but we'll definitely get the date out. But uh, but we'll definitely come back to that conversation and talk about the movie From Hell and and compare it to the to the book itself, and, and we'll have some fun with that. And um. Like I said, we, we somehow managed to, to miss the month of February. And this week we originally had Chris Hodap scheduled to come on, and uh, something came up schedule-wise and, and just it didn't work for, for the calendar. And so we have a, a little bit of something different we published yesterday. This week we are going to talk to Mark Tabert and Cliff Porter, who are recently on the board for the Masonic Restoration Foundation, which is everything and traditional observance lodges included. So, so we'll get into a little bit about that and explore some of that. Dean and I were kind of talking about what was going on with them and, uh, and traditional observance lodges and European concepts have, have been something we've talked about quite a bit on the program. Uh, well, we always get questions on it, Greg. It never fails. I know. I always, I always it always comes back up. <laughs> so, so it's definitely something we're, we're going to delve into tonight and, and hopefully leave uh, listeners with the idea of, of exactly what it is and, and the who, what, where, when, and why, and, and even how to maybe look at forming one. I know I was looking at some of the comments in Facebook, and, and folks were talking about wanting to make sure that they picked up this program. So... Hopefully to be good. I know, and, and we've missed a whole bunch of news, so I think we may have some news from Tim to, to sort of get us started here. We do, but before we do that, I also wanted to cover, we, we also had a new, a new format of a show the other, a few weeks ago from Japan, and I wanted to make sure that everyone, if they haven't had a chance to listen to that, take a listen to it. Different format than our usual. It's uh, from our uh, our team in Japan. They were interviewing um, the uh, one of the past grandmasters of Japan and uh, one of their oldest their oldest mason on record, I think. Um, and it was a really interesting show, and I, I encourage everyone to listen to that and tell us what you think. Uh, we'd like to have that team continue to uh, submit our submit uh, articles uh, or episodes from Japan, and uh, and I think that everyone would find it very educational. So uh, just absolutely, yes, yeah, is. It's- as much feedback as, as any of you out there can, can give us on it and let them know how they did and, and what they thought. I know we've had a lot of folks that have listened to it, so it, it's definitely uh, struck a chord. I think if you know, word of mouth is anything that's passed it on or just of interest coming back to it. So, And, 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 and it's not me and you. It's not you and I. It's great. Someone <laughs> must, must appreciate that somewhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. I, well, you know, it, it's... It's a, it's good to have other audiences, and definitely good to hear what's going on across the globe. I think that's probably one of the more exciting aspects of it. You know, Far East. How often do you get Masonic news from the Far East? So, so let's ring up Tim uh, and figure out what's happening with the news in uh, in Masonry this uh, this month. 
Take it away, Tim. Thanks, Greg and Dean. This is Tim Bryce with the Masonic News for the week of March 7, 2010. In the news, the Tri-Valley Herald of Union City, California reports Masonic Homes of California has dropped its plans to develop a 63-acre mixed-use project along Mission Boulevard. Representatives for the organization said Friday, February 26th. Although the city council hadn't yet voted to place a measure on the November ballot, Voters were preparing to head to the polls this fall to say whether Masonic Homes should be allowed to build at the base of Mission Hills in an area where development is restricted. Masonic Homes owns a 1.25-mile stretch of property along Mission Boulevard between Whipple Road and O'Connell Lane, which it has proposed developing. But after a year of public hearings and community meetings, the organization's leaders decided to table the project. Over the past year, community members and city leaders have weighed in on the project. Supporters said it could bring some much-needed sales and property tax revenues to the city, as well as community facilities that the developer had proposed. But opponents said a mixed-use project consisting of residences and retail stores isn't in line with community desires and preserve open space. And some worried about traffic impacts on mission and potential landslides since the development would be situated at the base of the hills. The Evening Observer of Dunkirk, New York reports, Dunkirk Fire Department Captain Alan Loeb said the Chautauqua County Fire Investigation Team concluded Thursday, February 25th, that the cause of the fire at the Masonic Temple was likely an electrical problem originating in the northwest corner of the building, but that more specific circumstances may not be known based on the extent of the damage and the danger the unstable structure places on investigators. Loeb also provided more information surrounding the firefighting efforts, reporting that the Dunkirk Fire Department had been notified of the fire at 5.16 p.m. Wednesday through an automatic alarm in the building. Responders initially discovered smoke inside the building and evacuated occupants, namely the Dynamics Unlimited Gymnastics class, whose numbers were revised by Loeb to consist of 32 students and four adults. As a search of the building was performed for other potential occupants, crews began attacking the fire initially found on the first and second floors from inside via the main entrance and central stairway. A second search of the building was made before the fire extended to all floors and threatened the roof support system, prompting the firefighters to evacuate themselves about 35 minutes into the response. The fire then engulfed the building. The Dunkirk Common Council passed two walk-in resolutions Tuesday that provided the legal framework to put the demolition of the building in motion. The late resolutions were the topic of discussion during an executive session called as Council's workshop session began. The demolition of the Masonic Temple Building is being conducted by Empire Building Diagnostics, Inc. And finally... Congratulations go out to the Masonic Lodge of Petal, Mississippi, who just celebrated their 100th anniversary. Congratulations, one and all. Brothers, if you have any Masonic news we can use, please do not hesitate to email it to me at timb001 at phmainstreet.com. Again, that's timb001 at phmainstreet.com. And now back to Greg and Dean. Well, Greg. Thanks for that, Tim. I, you know, and I feel like we've missed so much of the news in the last few weeks, too. You know, it's hard catching back up. It feels like all sorts of stuff's gone on. And terrible at the fire, though. I just reading in the chat, you know, the, the running joke, you know, shouldn't the fire have started in the other corner? But, 
I have terrible news. Terrible news. Yeah. So all good things, though. All good things. This week, uh, interesting topic, though. I, I think we, we touched on it just a little bit in the intro, and, and I think you're absolutely right that it's a, it's a topic of, of a lot of uh, interest, maybe, though, though many may not be aware of it. Um, we reference it typically as traditional observance lodges and European concept lodges, but in reality, it's, it's much, much more than that. And, uh, and, and as boards go, the, the Masonic Restoration Foundation has two new members, or at least one new member, and, and Brother Cliff Porter, who's come on the show before, talking about his book, The Masonic Baptism, and uh, Brother Mark Tabbert, who is out of the George Washington Memorial in uh, Virginia. How are you doing tonight, gentlemen? Very good, very good. Well, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, brothers. I, I know it was a, a real short notice for you guys coming here, and, and we definitely appreciate you guys spending the time with us and, and talking about this and and hopefully being able to, to shed more light on uh, on on what exactly the, the Restoration Foundation is and, and really what what the traditional observance lodges are and, and perhaps how some could approach them. I know I, we, we talk about the, the, the traditional observances being the focus, but you know, before the call, we talked about it being much more than that. Beyond the scope of, of the, the European concepts and the TO lodges, what else does the Restoration Foundation focus on? Well, if you'd like, I'll start a little bit on that. I've, I've been on the um, Masonic Restoration Foundation for, I think, five years now, and I've been secretary-treasurer now. This is my second year, and I'm, I'm not a member of a traditional observance lodge. In fact, I probably have visited maybe one or two in my life. The most notable notice, notable is the uh, Academia Lodge in Oakland, California, and I only visited that um, last October. So the Masonic Restoration Foundation, as founded by the first president, Dennis Ternanke, was traditional observance-focused. Dennis had come up with that idea, had organized the aspects of that, had had created a program, was, had supported that, and helped found and train uh, groups of Masons to either um, uh, renovate or restore a lodge, or renew a lodge, or start brand new lodges. Uh, but the Masonic Restoration Foundation has not always has not been has never been solely committed to the TO concept as Dennis Ternanke created it. It's always been um, at least uh, on paper, or at least the desire is to encourage best practices on any lodge. And um, with our board meeting about three weeks ago, the, the new elections and the change, Dennis uh, is, is no longer president of the Masonic Restoration Foundation. Uh, Bob Davis out of Oklahoma is. And, uh, and Dennis left the presidency because he realized he was too busy with many other things in his life, including uh, recently married and a young child. Um, so the, the, the MRF is now got a little new lifeblood with, with Cliff Porter coming on and Mark Conrad out of Louisiana and Pete Norman from Texas. Uh, and the MRF is now um, anxious to um, to open itself up to be more of a big tent organization, an organization that's a clearinghouse for information, a place that can um, allow Masons of different um, locations and different ambitions for their life, lodges and for their uh, – and for their um, own Masonic career, so to speak, or interest, to be able to meet through the MRF. So, so, and we can get into a little more detail what that means in the future. But I feel like I just spoke enough. <laughs> so, oh, you did great. 
The less we I, have of Greg talking, the better. Uh, <laughs> you're funny, Dean. You're funny. Hey, how well, would you say that that differed for? from the? How would you say that that differed, Mark, from from the the role of the past? Because I, I remember the the Restoration Foundation coming up frequently in conversations three, four years ago here in California. Yeah. They, that it was sort of the, the the push behind a lot of programs that were starting to take here. Um, and and at the time they seemed to be sort of up and coming, real big stuff, and and then all of a sudden it just sort of simmered down to, to almost a quiet whisper or a murmur at best. Well, again, I think that's part of the situation with Dennis, which is Dennis. Uh, obviously, I think he had a part-time job, uh, and he worked in the education department or something for the Grand Lodge of, of California when John Cooper was still Grand Secretary. Um, and he was doing more of the educational programs for the Grand Lodge of California. He was very, very motivated to do that. Uh, soon after that, I think that would have been 2005, maybe. Um, and then in 2006, at the Conference of Grand Masters in, uh, in um, Nashville, he gave a presentation on TO Lodges. Uh, and then soon after that, um, you know, he decided he finally got married, I should say, or Sudar decided to get And he he sort of finished college, and he went into his profession, and he got very busy with that and married and then has a child. So a large part of the MRF, because he founded it, it relied on his energy to do it. And when he when real life, so to speak, caught up with him and he had real things he had to do, such as his career, a wife, and a child, then the energy out of the MRF um, deflated. Uh, just because of Dennis, and and Dennis realizes yeah. that, and there's not any, um, it's not any great scandal, just a natural progression of, of on Sure, sure. Well, it's Absolutely. actually very good that, that he he was able to uh, notice that, and uh, you know, step back so that the, the the organization could grow beyond him. And, you know, I mean, everyone's good for a position at a different time. That's why they right. And, change and I mean, CEOs and then, from time to time. And don't and don't get me wrong. I and I'm not speaking for Dennis, but my my last conversations with Dennis and my understanding is if the idea of the traditional reservist lodge, he's still very much a supporter of that. He still loves that concept. The MRF still supports it. Um, and if there are groups of Masons out there who are intrigued by that idea, who are contemplating trying to create a, a specific traditional observance lodges lodge, Dennis is still very much available and very interested in helping anybody. Who's, in, who's seriously interested in pursuing that that style of lodge, right? Uh, he's not. He's had. He's again. He's still a member of the board of directors. He's still involved in the in the foundation. Certainly, he is just not the president anymore. He's you know he's not the team captain anymore, but he's certainly still on the team. Right, right, and and I'm sure the, the good ideas will probably still continue out of him for it. You know, once once you launch a ship like that, it's it's. It's hard to, to turn over the reins. I mean, really, it, it was it was his efforts initially that would, were behind it. So I'm sure he's got a lot of energy still dedicated to it. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. He, he he absolutely was one of the people that we were were had on mind for future shows. So um, I'm I'm glad though that you guys are on now to talk about it. With with the other aspects of of what the the MRF is doing, some of what you mentioned was to encourage best practices for lodge, lodges that are interested in, in doing that. How How is it set up to support them? Or, or if, if a lodge, let's say, uh, or somebody from a lodge wanted to reach out to the, MR, the, the MRF and, and ask about what you guys could offer, how would they do that? Or, or what information would you give back to them by way of, of consulting or, or encouragement? 
Well, let me, I'll say a few things on the big picture, and then I'll let Cliff say something on the smaller stuff, because Cliff, coming on the board, is, I think, gonna, is poised and has the expertise to do that. Um, I think basically what we're realization, as a realization is that the MRF, uh, Masonic Restoration Foundation, should be thinking about figuring out the, the communication systems through Facebook, through other social networking, through email, through a better website, improved website, mailing list, whatever, to help start putting together a network of Masons who are simply interested in. And as Secretary of the MRF, that's really going to be my job, is to try and help organize that information and create a network. My, our hope that we've talked about at the board is that if, if there are six guys in Keokuk, Iowa, who are interested in reorganizing a lodge or starting a new lodge, and there's somebody down in Hannibal, Missouri, or over up in, uh, uh, you know, Mo- Moline, Illinois, or wherever, who can come down, who help, who can at least sit down and talk to them, or they can meet halfway in the bar someplace or a diner and have a casual conversation on that. Uh, besides just going online to chat, that's a good, that's a really good way to help support this. Or to be able to go up to the lodge that's formed in Des Moines, I believe, that's a new lodge there, and and get a, an understanding of what the process was to go through to, to not to work with Grand Lodges or to work with lodges or to understand all the dynamics there is in trying to affect change in a lodge or, more especially, um, how to start a new lodge, which, ha- which, depending on the Grand Lodge, has very, very specific requirements that you don't want to screw up. So the MRF's point of view is that we want to figure out ways to allow that networking to happen because Cliff is more in tune to it with his own lodge in Colorado and some of the stuff he's doing. I'll, I'll let Cliff go, get more yeah. into the get into the. Let, the let, me, let, let me just um, rephrase this a little bit, Mark, because I think yeah. we're starting to get ahead of ourselves and we're talking heavily about TO or getting into the TO conversation and a lot of the audience may not know what that means. So... Um, Cliff, perhaps you should lead us through uh, TO-101 and just explain through layman's terms, um, even using your own lodge as an example might be a good thing, to explain what TO, a TO lodge is or tr- traditional observance lodge is so that we, when we go any further, people know what we're relating to. Sure. Uh, a traditional observance lodge is a specific model under the Masonic Restoration Foundation that has implemented a series of, let's call it, best practices, which have been um, studied and taken from parts of Europe, Central and South America, and um, colonial masonry here in the United States, and uh, kind of returned the focus uh, within the lodge to the initiatic experience, uh, the ideas for a solemn lodge experience with the utmost respect for masonry, with the central focus being on the initiation and the initiatic experience, which we don't view as a one-time thing. It's viewed as a continual process of growing the man and growing the temple. Um, It is a dynamic that's not purely educational, not purely intellectual, not purely philosophical, not purely musical, but we take all these things together Uh, We have components like uh, the wearing of uniforms, the use of music during lodge, uh, the use of meditation uh, during lodge. There is always a formal procession uh, prior to lodge. Uh, We utilize the chain of union during the uh, closing ceremony, so to speak, after lodge is closed already. 
Uh, we utilize the Chamber of Reflection during uh, the initiatic uh, portion of the Entered Apprentice degree. Uh, and so uh, TO lodges are those lodges that have decided, they've looked at that menu of best practices that the MRF has and said, you know, we're, we're going to order all of them uh, and, and have tried to implement those. And so that was a, a way of designating them as, as those lodges that decided to order, say, everything off the menu. Okay, because one of the questions coming to us early on in the in the in the board was uh, why why are, why are there different styles of lodges and shouldn't all lodges be traditional and and so I have my own answer for that but maybe I'd like your answer. Cliff. <laughs> well, I, let me throw something in there, which is traditional observance. Dennis Trenecki developed that specifically. He chose that name. He he selected the attributes according to what his he he um, what he put together what he what he researched and what he thought was best. And he believes that that's the best system that works. In fact, in, in some ways, traditional observance is almost a registered trademark um, that Dennis has created, and he's he's very particular about what that means. The, the idea of, and so that's a specific type of lodge. And some lodges, but because Freemasonry is a folkway, it's not really owned by anybody per se, um, Dennis is very is very protective of his specific thing that he's his specific program as he should be, but we know in Freemasonry that people pick and choose, uh, select what the, what kind of sort of things they'd like to do. To suggest that all lodges ought to be that way or can be that way or were that way is not really true. Americans Fre Americans and Freemasons in general do things whatever suits them, uh, and the MRF realizes that. And why we're always going to recommend sort of the TO is the ACME, um, such things as, as what might be styled European style concept or just best practices and well as well. There's a whole range of things there that we would encourage uh, people to do without being so selective. We know that that a, a group of Masons again who live in Keokuk, Iowa, are going to want a different type of lodge than those who live in Portland, Oregon, or New York City, or you know, Key West, Florida, or whatever, and and that should be fine as long as they're getting the support to make a happy, healthy, uh, enjoyable lodge. I think that's what's important. Yeah, I want to I want to address if it's okay, Greg, jump in and talk a little bit about the title and the label of TO Masonry, and then hold on a second, Cliff. You're asking Greg for permission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What am I supposed He's, to do? He knows who's in control, Dean. Go ahead, Cliff. I'm pretty sure you guys have a big red button somewhere in there. I have the I have the button. Let's just make this clear with who has the power here. <laughs> the, the TO title, the the TO label, it's nice. It's, it's a way of saying, hey, we worked hard and we did something. We realized a goal. But the label isn't what's important. What's important was the idea behind uh, the fruition of that label, and that's what remains important today. It, if if the sole of masonry is minutes, bills, um, pancakes, and charitable work, uh, masonry will fail. And I'll go on record as saying that's my personal opinion. I'm not speaking as an official opinion of the MRF, but masonry, if it does not practice masonry, will fail. And so what the TO label represents is a man, and now groups of men, groups of lodges, that wanted to do something to breathe life into their Masonic life, 
uh, bring it back, revive it. Um, so it's not important what title you decide to ascribe to your lodge. I think everybody's goal in the MRF would be that one day the word Masonic in front of the word lodge describes a fulfilling experience where people can't wait to go and they're disappointed to leave. And so although TO is important, it's not as important as the desire to see your masonry thrive. And anybody that wants to see masonry thrive can come to the MRF and get some ideas, can get some help. Uh, we have members willing to come out and speak, uh, assist in, in building bridges. Um, you can write down my email, cliffporter at enlightenmentlodge.com, and email me, and I'll personally help you. Um, and, and that's the idea of it. So it, although, yes, we have a label, I think the end goal is that someday simply the word describes the fulfilled mason. So, um, Cliff, I think that was great. Um, what I, we, we have one more label to, to, dis, to, uh, to let out and discuss, and that's we're, ta we're throwing all, around all, as well the moniker European concept. And I know you go through your, on your website and explain the difference between traditional observance and European concept. Could you do that for our show by chance, Cliff or Mark? Sure. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cliff. <laughs> uh, European concept is, is likewise a specific model. Uh, it's modeled after the English constitutions and was uh, specifically created just like the word TO or the model of TO was created by an individual with an idea. Uh, European concept was first appeared, I believe, in uh, Australia of all places and uh, was instituted there and they, they kind of built on the English Lodge model. Uh, and infused that with uh, an educational model. Um, the difference, I think, between, say, European concept and traditional observance is uh, traditional observance has um, the goal, if you're going to have that specific title, has the goal of an absolute and singular focus on the initiatic experience with a strict adherence uh, to some very specific guidelines. The European concept model, is, it's fair to say, is much more open, uh, and in, in that way, it's probably more diverse. I would just throw into that, which is behind all this realization, behind all these things, is that folks have gone to Europe um, and looked around and saw the fact that lodges in France and Italy and other places were growing their membership while around the rest of the world, or in North America anyway, uh, membership was declining rapidly, and there was a realization amongst uh, sort of pilgrims uh, into Europe was that why don't we raise the standards since we've tried everything else in North America? Why don't to lower their dues, lower the standards, make it as easy as possible? How about trying to raise the standards, raise the dues, raise all the requirements, and see what happens? <clears throat> because that seems to be have been working um, in Europe, and so. Uh, what we're really, what this is really about, is trying to reverse the trend um, over the last 50 or 60 years. To since we've tried everything else, let's let's be counterintuitive, which is why don't we charge $500 rather than $50 for annual dues and see what happens? And and that was sort of the spark behind this. And then it became more formalized as specific programs or papers. Um, or, or were, were produced, um, and specific lodges were set up. 
Uh, I think we're kind of past that because I think we realize that it does work. I think that raising the standards does work. And uh, I've had this discussion with Dennis Trenecki. It would be interesting. I don't know the statistics, but I would bet, let's say, in the last 15 years that maybe 40 lodges in the United States have been chartered. Let's say 40 lodges in, in the last 15 years. Of those 40 lodges, maybe 15 or 20 were new lodges trying to do a TO-style concept or something like that. So that's a huge percentage of new lodges. So there seems to be some sort of um, success. So let's try and let's try and encourage that success. That's that's where the MRF is trying to uh, fulfill that function. You, you know, it's interesting, gentlemen. In, in sitting back and, and I'm trying to parse the two out from from the idea of, of the, the TO lodge or the EC lodge versus even just the, the aspect of, of changing habit in lodge. I know I've, I've had conversation on occasion with, with uh, Brother Davis and, and the idea of always coming back to, you know, making a list of the things you want to change and start working it and step by step the changes will, will come about. Um, but it's a very slow process. And, and I wonder if in this broader concept, and, and this was always sort of the peril of going that route, of becoming a TO or an EC lodge, um, the, the membership fleeing one lodge to all go to another. And I think that's why there's been a little bit of hesitancy about rolling this sort of idea out, um, you know, and unveiling a flag at some point to say, hey, here's a new TO lodge in the area. Everybody come join it and, and uh, yeah, yeah, but to it. See, I don't think that's the way it would work. See, um, I think it's quite the opposite, which is uh, a good lodge will be very mindful about how large it gets. They should, it works both ways, which is, an, which is if you have a very, very good lodge and people are happy in that lodge and men enjoy the situation, absolutely they should be attracting members from the area and who are going to dra- drive a long way to be there. And absolutely that should maybe put a, a worry in, in failing lodges and mediocre lodges in the area. You know, we're all for free enterprise, absolutely. Uh, m- my success... Uh, sh- you know, shouldn't shouldn't um, be diminished by your failure. Um, but on the other hand, TO lodges are not looking to be 500 members or or even 200 members, even maybe 75 members. Some some lodges would prefer to be not more than 35 members, right? So, and they even restrict membership so that they said, look, we we we're only going to have a lodge room with 50 chairs in it. We're not going to allow. We just would too many members, too many people in the room disrupt the atmosphere. Uh, so, you know, that's part of the process there, which is the lodges themselves are not looking to, grow, you know, they're, you're not trying to take a, uh, trying to, we're not taking a franchise just like McDonald's, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not trying to, that's, that's kind of, that's counterproductive. Why would we start out making Rolls Royces and want to be, you know, uh, Fords, right? That's, Wait a second, are you saying that Fords are bad? I say I'm saying Fords are not Rolls Royces. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> just, just goofing with you, Mark. Um, uh, so. I want to talk about the faulty premise, though, of because I hear that a lot. You'll steal members. Other lodges will die. Blah 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 blah. And I say blah 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 because I believe that's the um, the intellectual level that it deserves. It, it is an absolutely faulty premise. And it is based on a belief that membership in a quantitative number is the center of the Masonic universe. And this is completely foolish. 
okay? Uh, here's the deal. If you have three successful lodges in your area and three lodges that are initiating men into the EA who come in, they have an unfulfilling experience, decide that they want to go to a different lodge, good, because what you've done is keep that man in masonry. If you have six uh, lodges operating in your area, some with hundreds of members, but have seven or ten at a meeting, but maybe four or five hundred people on the rolls, and they're, issu- they're initiating people like a factory, entered apprentices every meeting, but that's all they ever seem to do. Those men are leaving masonry, they're returning to the communities, and they're spreading the word that masonry is irrelevant and unfulfilling. And they are disastrous to Freemasonry as a whole. We need to get rid of the idea that we need to keep failing lodges around or lodges that aren't doing good Masonic work so that we can keep their charter alive in case a man wants to join it. They are sending men away. They have been sending men away, and I can prove it by our statistics, which show that the fraternity has been hemorrhaging. The reason they are hemorrhaging isn't because we are failing to get members. It is because we are failing to keep members. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I've never believed that Freemasonry has a membership problem, has a retention problem, and that's always been clear because you can just look at the statistics of men coming in um, and, again, you can look at so many lodges that have a huge amount of numbers on the on the rolls, but only 5 or 10% of that number showing up in any given meeting. And you can just look at the number of past masters who are being recycled through lines and all that other stuff. So it just tells you that um, they might be initiating 15 men a year, but, but you know, two are back the next year. So it's, but, but it's a return rate. You know, by by recycling your your masters, you can uh, you can get much better ritual though. Yeah, and whoopie do. I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't mean that whoopie do. What I'm saying is, um, it it just becomes stale and stagnant. You know, and um, you know, it, it's more thrilling and exciting to see a young man who's work has been working three or four months on the middle chamber lecture to stand up and give it, even though it's sort of a high wire act than some past master who's known known the middle chamber lecture for 30 years and has a cold, um, and he has lost all energy and lost enthusiasm for it. Good for him, you know. And, and I've seen this, and it gets me upset, because I've seen these past masters who know the ritual so well that they're nonchalant it, and they're actually quite disrespectful to the candidate because they're giving a performance to the people in the audience and not uh, focusing on the, on the candidate itself. It's you know they they become performers you know. Well, right, there's, right. An, there's a bit of an elephant in the room when it comes to discussing lodges that aren't performing well, and that's the recognition that if new lodges start to grow or guys start to form their own lodges or move to other lodges that are uh, revamping or or progressing or trying to fulfill their members, those those charters may die, and that that's a big fear because that represents. Uh, uh, you know, change in the fraternity, and the fraternity is incredibly uh, afraid overall of massive change like that. But here's the reality: you have three or four small lodges in an area that the same seven guys travel to to keep four charters alive because somehow there's a value in a piece of paper, even though in our ritual it says that we meet as a lodge, not in one. So that piece of paper, although historically interesting, doesn't reflect the the 
lodge culture uh, or what it could be. So the, the truth is, and the elephant in the room is this, is that maybe those lodges will disappear as masonry changes, revamps, and morphs. And that's okay. It, it's a progressive science, and, and it's, it's, it's okay for it to be that way. I, I think you're absolutely right, Cliff. I, I think that's the, the question, and especially in, in what you were addressing there, Mark, in, in the sense of, of this Masonic flight from lodges to new lodges, um, did, to address the question, you know, the elephant in the room, as you say, of, of so many lodges within a geographic area, if there, you know, are, are three or more lodges that are, you know, 10 minutes drive in any direction, you know, at a certain point, does that start to ask the question, is it too spread out? Is it too diverse? Whereas 30 years ago, perhaps that might have been a good answer, but today, does that still fulfill the same need? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the good old days, right? You took a trolley, or you walked to lodge. You didn't. People didn't own cars back in the 1920s so much. You just, you, you. The, the lodge hall was a neighborhood thing, or you worked downtown and you went to lodge downtown. Think of the the huge Detroit Masonic Temple, right? Or the right. Philadelphia right. Temple, whatever. Um, so it, but. So, yeah, there was a concentration. The lodges were all broken up. You had 30 or 40 lodges meeting in the Philadelphia Temple all doing their own sort of thing. You had 40, 60 lodges in the Detroit Temple all doing their own thing, and men found whatever lodge they enjoyed being then, and there wasn't that consideration. Whenever back in the 20s, if 15, 20 guys got together and wanted to get a charter, they just got a charter. Nobody really cared. I mean, there was a process, certainly, but they were handing out charters. I could show you in the proceedings in Massachusetts in 1910 where the Grand Master is, is, is highly is demanding that they double the number of lodges in Massachusetts because we can't have 200 members in a lodge. We should only have 100 members in a lodge, right? So there was a big push to have more lodges. What happened is these lodges just got bigger and bigger. The Grand Lodges... Right, right. The, the process of starting new lodges crapped out, and lodges became more competitive than themselves. Some lodges decided that they wanted to be the biggest in the state or the area, and then they just sucked up more and more members. So there was a crowding out in a different way. And then I, I, I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but I will say this. This issue of competition is hoo-ha, because that competition has been around since the Royal Arch Chapter, and then the Royal Select, the Knights Templar, the Scottish Rite, the Shrine. All these organizations have always sucked members out for very good and legitimate reasons out of the lodge. So if you were unfulfilled in the lodge in 1870, you could join the Royal Arch Chapter. If you were unfulfilled fulfilled in the lodge in 1920, you were in the, in the Scottish Rite. If you, by, the, by the 1970s, you were in the Shrine. The, the, the lodge itself has done very little to hold on to its membership and retain it. It's, it's been a, a sieve into these other organizations because a lot of men have been unfulfilled since the 1870s. They've been joining the Knights Templars or whatever. Right? And, and run over to it. And, and that actually that raises an interesting point and, and maybe an interesting turn point to the conversation. Um, one, in the sense of, of the Grand Lodges that, that are perhaps listening to what it is that the, the, the foundation is talking about. And, and then also, as they start to to think about some of the things that you're suggesting with this. So, so the aspect of too many lodges that are consolidating um, or facing these changes. Um, has there been much interest? And, and then from the side bodies, how have they taken to it? Are they, are they just as interested in, in hearing what you have to say or, or are they sort of in the self-preservation mode of if it doesn't directly affect this, we don't want you to change it? Can how I are they taking that? What? Go ahead, Cliff. I, I'd like to speak to it just as a person operating 
you know, within a, a lodge that is operating under the TO model and, and talk a little bit about that. Uh, if Grand Lodges are listening, I, I want them to focus on this number, 130. And the reason I want to spit out a number is, is, is regardless of how inadequate I believe it is to uh, explain masonry, that's the percentage that my lodge, Enlightenment Lodge, has for attendance at a meeting, 130%. We average 30% more than our membership at an average meeting because people are desirous to attend. Uh, 375 is another number I'd like them to focus on. That's the number of men we brought to a lodge meeting in conjunction with the Orient of Colorado, the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite, to Southern Colorado Consistory, which has a total of about five to 600 people literally living in, even in the state of Colorado, our other members live outside the state. We average we averaged at the time about 50 members, and we had 375 at a joint meeting that we did. Uh, about 250 is another good number. We teamed with the Grand Lodge to bring a visionary leadership workshop up to Denver and worked with all the bodies, York Rite, Scottish Rite, and Grand Lodge, to bring an educational program free to any mason in the state that wanted to attend. So... If a Grand Lodge is listening, what I want them to hear is this. We're here to grow masonry, but we're here to grow it without focusing on the member as a digit. We're here to grow it by focusing on the member that's already sitting in a chair, not this elusive, non-existent one that we seem to chase by creating brochures. So that's the goal, and it's, it is working. It is absolutely unequivocally working, even if you chose just to look at those digits that I hate so much, all you could find in, in our personal experience is 100% success and, and all the bodies coming together to build programs that are working for everybody. Hey, have, have, those, sort of, have those programs been distilled down in a way that, that other states can, can take them in and, and replicate them? Or, or are they less organic and, and just sort of thing, or I guess more organic and things that happened in Colorado per se that may not necessarily work in Texas or South well, Carolina or well, Maine? Yeah, what we're going to try and do, I think, for the MRF between now and, say, late August, uh, where we have some, some ideas of something that's going to happen late August, which I'll let, let Cliff say anything about, um, is to try and put together – a list of these ideas from the very, very, very basic to the, the, the most, most complex and potentially controversial and give a whole range of these things that groups of masons, lodges can think about what they want to start. Can we do the very basics here? And if some of these things are comfortable and we like them, we can go further and further up. Um, and this is the real key. The two, key, the two things here, well, the, the real key is that rather than a top-down grandmaster's program, leadership, uh, educational officers, brochures, three-by-five cards, videotape. This is about a group of bases taking responsibility for their lodge and not waiting for anybody else, and that they're going to decide what they're comfortable with. That is to say, just because in Massachusetts you might wear tuxedos, you know, out in Texas they might all wear cowboy hats or whatever, whatever's formal attire to them, but at least they're trying to move in towards formal attire. Or 
they don't necessarily want to listen to Mozart. They'd rather listen to Hank Williams or whatever as a music to process in on. I don't know. But whatever's right. going to work for them is at least they're trying to, to they're they're taking responsibility of their own logic rather than waiting for somebody's permission or somebody's direction to do something. The thing that right, I right. The, the analogy that I try to use with the MRF here is that I I try to think of it as like the United States Army. In the United States Army or any army, but I'll use the army because I was in the army, you all go through basic training, you all come out of basic training as a soldier. Now, some soldiers are truck drivers, some soldiers are Artillerymen, some soldiers are infantrymen, some soldiers, you know, are nurses, right? But when you're an infantryman, then you can think about wanting to be in the airborne or a scout or a ranger or special forces or delta force. You can keep going and going. And that's part of what we're trying to do is we want all Freemasons lodges to think about improving themselves. Now, some lodges are going to be hardcore and go after the most rigorous, solemn, uh, heavy-duty intellectual spiritual process, and some are just going to are going to take a few things and be happy to be just an infantryman. If you know what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. the MR, but but this is not a specific program unless you want to earn the title of traditional observance, unless you want to earn the title of the European concept. The MRF wants to help facilitate that so that there is some sort of uh, selection of what you want to pursue, and that way. We never run afoul of any Grand Lodge because we're never trying to accredit or demand any kind of specific um, specific criteria, other than we want that you should be improving your lodge experience. I think that's the underlying that's, that's problem. A good, that's a good point, Mark. So, so because a lot of the times I hear an issue where to it seems like the uh, foundation is is um, contravening the authority of the local Grand Lodge. So you're saying that you don't, you step back and you try to work within the wireframe set by by the jurisdiction. So whatever the Grand Lodge in that jurisdiction sets as the rules, you then work within that wireframe. You don't try to bend them or or, or play with them. No, never have. There's never been that, ever, ever. And again, um, Dennis Trenecki has I just say Dennis Janecki and Amarup has never tried to to go out and establish lodges in grand jurisdictions. It's always been a situation where there were groups of Masons or in a lodge who sought out the TO style or sought out and, and looked for support and advice about how to bring it into them. So, the, you know, the, the TO process has never been proselytized in that sense. So, no, there's never been an invasion or an attempt to... Uh, interfere with any grand jurisdiction ever whatsoever, well, ever. And I think it's important to note that the opposite is true in many ways. T.O. masonry, if you want to call it, if, which, again, I'm not sure I, I completely like always labeling it that way, but under the guise, under the umbrella of the MRF, what you're going to find is encouragement to quality standards that are likely already set forth within your own constructs, within your own grand lodges, your books of furniture, your lodge books, your recommendation on rituals, practicing ritual, uh, utilizing long forms, uh, encouraging papers and the studies of uh, the symbols that are presented to you during your degrees in masonry. All those things have been recommended often for many, many years in the grand lodge's own writings. Um, And so... What we're really recommending is a strict adherence to the things that are already laid down, not an innovation of something that's there. Yeah, 
Yeah. So here's here's a perfect example, which is the, I'm a past master of a Massachusetts Lodge, and when you look at the Into the Apprentice second section, the lecture, that whole lecture in the, in the Massachusetts cipher, it says master's work. Now, every lodge that I was in Massachusetts, it was always divided. One-third was done by the junior warden, one-third was done by the senior warden, and the master did the last of that lecture, the last third, the, the virtues and the tenets. But it says master's work. And about five years ago, I went to a lodge where the master did the whole inter-apprentice lecture. And it stunned the whole lodge because it had never been seen. And the organist who was playing there said, I haven't seen that done by the master in 30 years. But it's the master's work. That's what the cipher says. So I decided, hey, I, when I become master, I'm going to do the whole inter-apprentice lecture because it says master's work. And again... When I did that, it stunned the lodge on a certain level, but it impressed on the candidates that, lecture, that I, they could memorize the ritual themselves. And then suddenly the officers and the candidates felt like they could do their obligations, they could do their exemplifications, they could do their ritual, because lo and behold, the master led by example. But it was always there, right? Somehow the Grand Lodges, the lodges in Massachusetts, got into the tradition of breaking up that, that, that lecture because it gave work for everybody, but it still said master's work in the cipher. See what I'm saying? That's what we're doing. We're just reading the stuff a little closer and thinking about what was done 80 years ago or something like that. So, um, and, and I, I want to get this to a pragmatic level next, but, but before I get there, I just want to, one other thing that, that a lot of, um, I don't know why, but some people don't like the TO movement and, and they label it as being elitist. How, how would you respond to, 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 the, to that? I would say uh, a free man in a free lodge. If you're happy in your lodge and you're pursuing the things that you want to do with your brothers and your lodge and you're in conformity with your Grand Lodge and you're doing the requirements that your Grand Lodge expects of you, then why would you worry about a TO lodge? It proposes mm-hmm. no threat to your happiness in your lodge. If you simply dislike it because it's elitist, well, Freemasonry in itself has a form of elitism. After all, we have a black ball system, and you have to, um, you have to be uh, interviewed. So, you know, to each its own, Freemasonry is a huge organization. There should be enough lodges for any type of, organ- any type of lodge that wishes to exist. So, you know, be happy in your own lodge and not worry about it. If somebody, if somebody wants to be happy in their lodge and they're upholding the grand constitutions and in conformity with the grand lodge, then... It's a big, huge country. There's room for everybody. You know? That's well, my... there's different different flavors in masonry than yeah, just yeah, like right. anything else. And, right. and that's the beauty of having different lodges. Right. If, if I want to attend a lodge that's going to that's going to have a 45 minute discussion of Socrates or Kierkegaard, how is that different? And I, but I don't want to go to a fish fry. Why would I care if the guy goes to a fish fry and I don't? Why would he care if I listen about Kierkegaard? We're still human beings. We're still Freemasons. How do they how do they interfere with each other? You know, and I would say I I would say visit. Look, it, it, there's no boogeyman. Uh, we won't lock you in the chamber of reflection. Um, we won't we won't force dress you in a tuxedo. Um, call ahead if you like to, and 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 find out when dinner is because the agape or usually a festive board of some sort is really a a a, a emphasized point of the entire experience. And go and visit. We had a lot of um, parties that were a little nervous about us, I think it's fair to say, when we first formed. And we literally had to go to every lodge in a 50-mile radius and ask permission to exist. Uh, And that was 17 different lodges for us. 
uh, and we had to do two visits apiece because of the way our constitution's written. Uh, and, and we got some people that were nervous and because it, it felt new. And people like tradition. They like to feel secure, and that's totally a normal human reaction. But the ones that decided to come and visit, uh, to, to kind of shed off the fear and come, come and take a peek, uh, have, have never said another negative thing about it. Uh, they've had a wonderful experience, and um, I try to go out and visit the you know other lodges to to keep that fellowship going. And um, there's just no boogeyman at the TO Lodge. Go uh, find one close to you, and, and have a great time. If there's not one that close, uh, you've got my email address. Um, you know I've got the Masonic Motel going on in the guest room here. I I've had brothers from all over the world come and visit, and I'm happy to have them in my home, and I'm happy to take you to my lodge. Oh really? But you, but, but you guys have that weird chamber of reflection thing with skulls and salt and sulfur and stuff. Yeah, that's what, that I'm, weird <laughs> stuff. <laughs> not if you don't want to. I mean, again, you know, not if you don't want to. That's not, you know, that's again, it's just, you know, it's it's. I guess I can, the only equivalent I can think of is like the Protestant denominations. You know, there's high Episcopal Church and there's low Episcopal Church. You know, there's. You know, Baptists and Methodists, well, Baptists aren't Protestants, but Method, you know, Methodists and Presbyterians and all sorts of stuff. Um, but they're all Protestant Christians. They all have a sort of basic same theology. Um, so, you know, this is part of what the Freemasonry should be. If we, if we allow, we have Spanish-speaking lodges and German lodges and French lodges. We have lodges that are predominated by a certain profession or a specific interest or more rural lodges and urban lodges, then, then what's the big deal? Nobody's going to, you know, I, I grew up in a small town in Iowa. I, I'm, my, my, home, my mother lodge is small town Iowa. I think that's fine. I like going to those lodges. But I also really, really enjoy going to lodges in New York City, you know. <laughs> so, you know, a variety is the spice of life. Nobody's going to force anybody to do anything. This isn't, uh, it's, 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 an odd, it's an odd reaction, and I guess that it's a question of just being secure and, well, and almost every member on the Chamber of Reflection, real quick, just because we get a lot of questions about that, especially after the Dan Brown book. Um, the, 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 the Chamber of Reflection exists in the York Rite, and it exists in the Scottish Rite. Um, so the majority of Masons in the United States that are affiliated with those have been exposed to some level or degree if, if their bodies are working uh, those degrees in full form to a Chamber of Reflection. And they, they uh, you know, it's it's not a new concept. It's not a, it's not even really an innovative concept. It's a return to a a strong traditional concept that used to exist at a much wider degree in the fraternity until the fraternity decided as a whole uh, to apologize on behalf of Freemasonry. A lot of different things played in American Masonry, like the Morgan Affair and things like that. But I think we've reached a maturity level now in the craft where we're smart enough to realize we don't need to apologize when we haven't done anything wrong. I'm sorry, uh, Greg, uh, Cliff. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, um, I think to what you're saying, Cliff, is, is really that, that it's what we're, what we're dealing with today is sort of a homogenization of it from, from the influx of so many members, that the, the balance of let's make it the same across the board for everybody, and, and that's sort of what we're, we're existing in. Well, certainly, and this is where as a historian I would kick in on this, which is, and I think it comes through with the book that I wrote, which is 
when you become a very, very large organization, and, and it's reflective of a, of, a, of a society by the 1960s that had huge corporations, huge government, and huge unions, and big everything vertically integrated, um, and society itself became very homogenous and very efficient, that Freemasonry reflected society so that everything became homogenous and that the best business practices of the 1950s were imposed upon and into Freemasonry so that they could run very large Grand Lodges, very large York Rite, very large Shrine, very large Scotch Rite, and their charities and the youth groups and everything else. Um, well, with the collapse of the membership declining by half, you don't end business practices changing. We don't use addressograph machines anymore and send out, we don't need to send out letters. Um, the fraternity should be reflecting society again, and the days of building skyscrapers are over. We don't need to have three floors of people typing letters, you know. We don't have to have uh, vertical integration that way. Societies change radically through the Internet and other things. Freemasonry should be reflecting that sort of freedom that allows adult men <laughs> to have a certain say about how they wish to have their lodge operate in the same way that lodges were wide open and free and had a lot of um, leeway back in the 1870s, let's say, right? Um, and so, so what's going on in with the Masonic Restoration Foundation and just in general is reflecting society. A younger generation is coming into into the fraternity, and while they love and admire the ritual and the traditions, they also see that that it, it it lacks something that should speak to them, that makes them interested in it. Greg, um, yes, uh, sir. I just wanted to get one question in, and then I think you have a question as well. Um, the Masonic Restoration uh, Foundation, is it geographically, is it just focused on the United States? Uh, you, you're saying America a lot, and, and me, I'm not in the United States, so... Yeah, you so, have to, I'm an exception to the rule. You know? No, we have a Canadian lodge. We have a Canadian on the board of directors. Okay, and what about Australia or Japan or? Uh, why not? You pretty dry your boundaries. Why not? I don't. I don't think we're really worried about that. I, I don't think it's ever come up. I don't know why we. Uh, I'm, a, I'm upset about it because that's not the way we've always done it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we've never done it that way, so I don't know anything about Australia. I would never, you know. <laughs> Oh, I said, I think I got, I think, did I get the name of the group wrong? I was spouting it off, and I think I'm getting corrected by Mr. Hinckley on the board. It's a restoration <laughs> foundation. Thank yeah. you. It's, it's always a mouthful. It always throws me, too. <laughs> right. well, and it's important to note that the MRF, uh, the Masonic Restoration Foundation, isn't uh, you know a giant conglomerate uh, seeking to impose a particular style of masonry. It is a group of – so there isn't, um, you know, oh, do we operate in America? Do we do this? We operate wherever there's Masons desirous of having a fulfilling experience. We're a group of men uh, who have said, hey, listen, we'll, we'll try to work hard in the fraternity to make sure that we compile information and, and, and become a source of energy for those trying to revitalize their lodge. Um, and then we've implemented these different models. And we've said, look, this this has proven successful. Come see what's see what's going on. Bring somebody out to you. Give us a phone call. Give us an email. We'll we'll help you do it. The, the element in that is we'll help you do it. We won't do it for you. We don't roll in with a crew of trucks and a bulldozer, 
create the Sonic experience. We just well, don't. It's like, a, it's like a makeover show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not a makeover show. No, but in fact, you know, one of the first things we would suggest, one of the very first things that we have to say to people, to young Masons, is if you're interested in doing this, find 10 or 15 men, brothers, and meet once a month or twice a month for six months socially in a bar, in a restaurant, have a specific, the third Tuesday we go to TGI Fridays and New Wings and sit around, and after six months see if that's still going. Because you have to have that kind of commitment just to see if you can start a lodge. Having a successful lodge is a whole lot of work that takes five or six years of very dedicated service to it. You can't just simply, and Grand Lodges aren't just going to give you a charter simply because you want one. You have to be very mindful of the standards you have to set in order to get a dispensation and then work and achieve a, uh, uh, a charter. And if anything, the MRF is there to counsel groups of Masons to say, whoa, 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 just because this looks glamorous or just because you have a couple past grandmasters or people who think they'd want to do this, you're going to have to re- you're going to have to give up a lot of other things in your life if you want this lodge to be successful, you know. Mark, that's an excellent point, and and it was one that I wanted to raise earlier on in the interview, and I think Greg got going and cut me off or something. (laughs) But but that is is that um, just by putting TO in in your in your lodge doesn't doesn't indicate success. It does. No, it doesn't. doesn't. Everything takes work, and then people have to people have to remember that. Again, it's it's just like wanting to be a special forces. Or ranger, right? Being a special, getting the green beret is takes a lot of work and it's brutal. It's brutal. If you've ever watched, I know if, I've known quite a few people who are special forces, and if you watch the the shows on television, what it goes through or being a Navy SEAL, it's brutal. So, if you're going to strive for that standard, then more power to you. But you can't have ten guys whose one of those ten is a high priest of a chapter. Two of those guys are in Scottish Rite. Three of the guys are in the, or in this lodge or that lodge or whatever. You've got to have hardcore guys for four or five years who are building that and doing not doing very little else but that lodge, or else it's going to crap out. Um, right. And that's well, part of what has to be discussed because there's such romance. Oh, I get to have my name on a charter. Or wouldn't it be wonderful if I was charter master? Or I did this or yeah. I did that. That sort of leads to all sorts of schisms and weird and strange masonry that goes out there with people who want to be king, king grandmaster of North America or something like that. Because they're just... <laughs> they're just you, you leave the deepest alone. Greg, have you been telling them again? I won't name any names, but you know, there's a certain dilettante about this idea that I just want to be a grand. I want to be a past master, you know. I want to be a charter master, whatever. And this is not what it's about. It's not for the faint of heart. It should not be, right? Right, bro. Well, because so, at the end of the day, what's that going to get you? I mean, really, that that doesn't do anything to further the craft. I mean, that's sort of a feather in your own cap. So sure. Um, and the, but but just to just to jump on what you were saying. Did, the, the distinction of being called the TO Lodge is, is really that they've gone through the process and, and evolved to the point to take that mantle. It's not, it's not a mantle or a moniker that can just be applied to any lodge making subtle changes. I mean, it, right. it really implies a, a significant amount of change and, and almost a checklist of someone coming out to, to look at it. I, I remember in the early days with the with the. the the MRF that there would actually be a visit to make sure that everything was being done to an MRF standard to be called the TO. Yeah, and and I I think that that's reasonable. Well, we've talked about that on the board. We're not really sure how we can go about that, but 
Dennis in the past, and I'm not going to speak for him now, but it, but if Dennis has this program and Dennis please knows what TO is, Dennis should have the means to investigate to make sure people are maintaining that standard. Right. How you go right. about that is very, very dangerous and very, very ticklish, and I, I don't think there's a solution yet to that. But we would like to think, uh, just like if it's a German-speaking lodge and you show up at Mozart Lodge 125 and they're, they're all speaking Portuguese, something's going on here, right? So uh, in the same way, if you call yourself a daylight lodge and you're meeting at, at, for dinner, you know, I, I mean, certain things, right? <laughs> I, I guess right, I, right. I just want to hold up for a second here and ask one, la- one last question, then I want to get into another phase of this, of this um, and, that is, and that is identifying when someone should start to consider TO. But let me, just, uh, let me just pull back for a second and say, is this just, uh, it was a question that came up, but is this an urban thing? Are, are there any TO lodges that are in rural settings right now, or is it mostly urban centers where this is taking place? Um, I can't think of anything that's truly rural off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, it's probably, I mean, you you got to have the density. you got to have enough men out there. I mean, in a city, in a town with four or five lodges, you still, you're still only going to have to find 15 or 20 men out of that who are going to be really dedicated to that. So I think, I think it could be a, a rural thing, but it's that much, it's just, more difficult because um, well, you know, and it may not necessarily need to be. But, it it right. may not necessarily need to be a rural thing because if in a rural area, the likelihood of having multiple lodges doing double or triple the same work was probably lower than say in a big city where you would may have more lodges replicating the work and, and spreading out that sort of membership base. Yeah. Whereas but, in a rural area, all the membership base would be in one particular place. Yeah. Now, whether or not they act or operate like a TO lodge is another story, but... Yeah. Well, and I, I want to touch on that for a minute. Number one, again, we've said over and over again, don't get hung up if you can't or don't feel it's right for your region or right for your particular lodge or right for your particular guys that are going to form something. Get hung up on doing the specific TO model if that's not right for you. If you do believe you have enough brothers together to revitalize masonry, go for it. Don't worry yeah. about the label. Right. Implement those practices that work for you. But I want to talk about, real quick, Doric Lodge. Little tiny lodge in the middle of nowhere uh, where their lodge room uh, had a famous poem called uh, The Lodge Room Over Simpkins Store uh, is modeled after. Doric Lodge, if you go into it, is a little tiny country lodge in the middle of a mountain town. There's torches hung on the wall. They open lodge with meditation. They have a discussion paper. Uh, then they have Socratic discussion on that paper where people are allowed to just stand up and, and fire across lodge and talk about it. Um, they, they probably have maybe 10, 12 guys in lodge. Um, I've been in lodge, uh, you know, and, and everybody in the town knows each other. And um, they, they had no idea that there was a model called a TO model or a European concept model. Most of the guys were wearing work clothes or uniforms or jeans or whatever it was, wherever they came from that day to run the lodge. And yet it was one of the most fulfilling experiences I've had as a Mason, uh, and it was an extremely touching experience when I went to go visit that guy. And now I'm fast friends with, with many of their members. And, and it's it's literally a mountain town. So don't. it, it might not necessarily be a quote-unquote rural or urban thing, 
anywhere there's a small group of men desirous of practicing masonry, and our ritual says we really only need three. If you can get three guys together that really want to practice masonry, you'd be surprised what you could change. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it with the right attitude and don't create adversaries um, while you're while you're trying to make those changes. Education's your friend. If yeah. you're not educated, right. if you if you educate yourself on Google and a couple of Masonic forms and run your ass into lot oh sorry and run your into lodge and say you know I'm I, I'm here to change the world. Uh, we're going to form this. We're going to form that. We're going to use new titles. I need everybody to learn six Vedic. Uh, hymns. Uh, we're going to do a half-hour meditation. You can scare them off. You That's know, right. You can do all that. Especially Americans. Yeah. Uh, so here's here's my take on that. And this is what I try to remember whenever I'm on a radio interview, and I get some wise and a Heimer radio guy asking me about who can become a Freemason. The answer is it depends on the human being. And you get these questions. What if he's Jewish? It depends on the human being. What if he's seven foot five albino? It depends on the individual. So the law. It depends on the lodge. It depends on what the men in the lodge want to do. It. It. And I agree with Cliff. It doesn't have to be an urban or rural. It depends on those individual men who say to themselves and amongst themselves, "I want to have a. Be- I want to clean up this place. I want to have a new coat of paint. I wear. I want to wear a coat and tie. I do want to do this sort of stuff. I want to see what it's like to have five minutes, two minutes of." silent contemplation when we open the lodge just to clear my mind of everything that's happened in the day. Or I wonder what it's like to have two minutes of silent contemplation before we close the lodge. Who actually wants to do that? It's up to the individual lodge. We get so worked up about process, 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 or statistics, 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 it has to be down to the individual who want to do that. Um, and, And then the other side of that, from a historian's point of view, all these lodges in small towns were founded by these city fathers in, say, 1900, 1870. And these men who founded these lodges tended to be lawyers and doctors who were probably educated out east who got together. Sure, they were in a small um, farming community you know, in Ontario or a mining camp in Colorado, but that didn't mean that they still, they, they, they still read Shakespeare. They still cared about what Socrates said. They still cared about... The, the stories in the Bible, they still cared about whatever, and they were very interested in what the ritual could teach them. Just be, and I, I really, this really upsets me because I, about, especially growing up in Iowa, because I see it an erosion in this rural. When I grew up in small town Iowa, education was the primary thing. We read books like nobody's business, and we were very proud of the library and our educational system. Somehow, somebody's got in their mind is just because you're in a small town, you have to be a hick. And, you know, or you have no, to be. That's, that's Canadians, Mark. <laughs> okay. We think about okay. Canadians. You know, <laughs> I mean, we're you know. The, uh, <laughs> so off. you know, what I'm saying is, just because you are a bunch of farmers, farmers read Shakespeare. What the hell? Why can't they? You know. <laughs> you know. I, I, you know, I wonder. I wanted to to your point, Mark, of what you were talking about just a moment ago. The the changes to take place in lodge certainly it, it necessitates the individuals, the members. And, and it seems to me that in the descriptions of, of what both you and Cliff have talked about is that at some point that there's been a, a leadership with the vision to see that, to, to suggest a change and, and maybe even calm the waves of water that, that might become the tempest of the change. Yeah. So, so that at some point there's a leader that's driving that, uh, even in, in, a, in a philosophical aspect of, well, you know, let's try this because it might be, you know, good for blah, blah, blah. 
that, that, that there's got to be some driver behind it, that it isn't just sort of, you know, a, somebody opens a can of change and, and all of a sudden everybody's different, that, that there is some driver to it, some, some drive behind it. And perhaps that might be the role of the MRF moving forward. Yep, yeah. To find those change agents and, and be able to, to empower them to, to bring that about. Yeah, what, what that would I require would... leadership, Greg. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. That? That, that requires local leadership for right. that change to take place. Right, because it's. Right. The the MRF the MRF hopefully if we were the the Masonic Society the Masonic Restoration Foundation's board is contemplating some sort of meeting or some sort of what I would call hoot and nanny in the not too distant future, and as much that's what gets back to this term of best practices, which is understanding what does work and when can you suggest things, when should you try them, when do you have a concentration of numbers and masses to try and do something like a chain of union, which you need to have really more than three people to do that. You know what I'm saying? Or or, or what's understanding what the rules and regulations in any particular grand jurisdiction is before you think about this stuff and figuring out how to make sure that the lodges in your district are on your side. I mean, or, or is there a requirement uh, in your grand jurisdiction to get a vote or approval from lodges in your area? That sort of stuff. Those sort of things really need to be worked through because in many cases you only get one chance to do something right in this situation. Um, and if you don't go the full way, then it will get a bad reputation as just something that a bunch of ki- Masonic kids did that didn't work and now it's just stupid, right? All right. Yeah. May I may I just uh, take a step back here and say if 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 a listener is listening to this program right now, which could be six months from now because we everything's downloadable, but uh, they're listening to this program, they're looking at their lodge and they're saying they want to they want to do something. Um, two things I guess come to mind if you're empowering the person that's listening to this program right now is right. one. When do they determine whether they're going to put the, that energy? Because we talked about it, a lot of work. So oh, yeah. Whether they put a lot of work back into their own lodge to make it work, because that's one solution, or or to go and start a new lodge and call it a TO Lodge. Um, yeah. When, when when do they make that? And then we'll follow that question up with, is it best that they email um, the secretary of your foundation, you, so yeah. that, they can catalog, and that way they can find out who in that area is interested, and maybe um, maybe organize it from there. So, yeah. kind of a yeah. two-step question that I gave the answer to one already, but well, anyway, um, I'll ask. I'll, I'll say something very small, and then Cliff, who's gone through this process for more than I have, all I will say about this: the idea is, when do you know this? Is my experience in Massachusetts when I affiliated with the lodge out there when I moved out there in 1999, 2000. Um, you know, there was just enough men in that lodge who really, and we had a great lodge building and we had enough assets where we just came together and decided there was maybe six or seven of us that we could actually do something. And once we started cleaning and painting and dusting and being a little more specific and a little more demanding, then suddenly the old men, older brothers, woke up and liked it too and they started participating. So you can really change a lot, but you only... But it was through a series of four or five years, and each each year the master did a little bit more and tried a little bit more, and some things didn't work. And you might have to go step, go one step back a step, and then go two steps forward later. But um, you really it it, ha- it can't be an individual. You've really got to you get really got to have five or six or probably ten really dedicated people. You can't 
just have one young guy who says, when I'm master, I'm going to be master in three years and this is everything I'm going to do, forget about it. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. So um, I think you kind of know as you know. You, you, you have to be able to judge the situation on the ground and you have to have good counsel with past masters and younger guys and just seeing what the personnel you have around you. And, and I'll lead into ask Cliff, how did Cliff go about doing it? Because I don't know his story necessarily for his lodge in Colorado. Oh, do we have to get him talking again? <laughs> uh, I want to I want to plug, uh, so to speak, something that we're going to be doing with the MRF, and it's going to be something that we we're doing for the first time. And I want to make sure I do it now because those that are perking up and saying, "Hey, how do I find out information?" A, a good way to do that is the MRF is going to be holding its first time ever, like a national symposium, and Colorado is going to host that. Uh, the weekend we're looking at right now is August 28th and 29th. That's a Saturday and Sunday. It'll be this year. It'll be in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'll have information up on the website. You'll be able to register online. And um, we're going to have two full days of answering some of these tough questions and problem solving and best practices, roundtable discussions. Enlightenment Lodge 198 will actually have a special communication. And right now we're in, in talks with a... New York Times top 10 bestseller uh, to come as our speaker uh, for that. I won't I won't drop his name yet, but we'll have it all over the website when the time comes. Um, there'll be discussion. There'll be networking. There'll be uh, scotch and, and a cigar roller for Sunday evening. Uh, but you'll actually be able to come and not just talk about this stuff because because talking does us no good. Uh, faith is an action, so uh, you'll experience a quality fulfillment or we hope that it's a quality and fulfilling meeting. Um, and um, you'll be able to visualize and, and hear and experience, you know, and inundate those three senses um, so that when you go back to where you're from and, and want to implement some of these ideas, you've seen it, you've smelled it, you felt it, you heard it, um, and in our agape, you tasted it. Um, so uh, I, I'd really encourage you to mark your calendar. We're going to keep registration at... A, at very, very affordable by working with local community partners uh, and pairing with some of the best um, meeting facilities uh, available to us. Um, and um, with those community partners, we're keeping prices very low. So please mark your calendar for August 28th and 29th and get ready to come out and experience uh, what the MRF wants to be uh, and help us grow into something that can help you. Uh, and, and so I want to plug that real quick. I thought it was appropriate. Um, have I talked too much, or can I talk about <laughs> Enlightenment Lodge's personal experience? No, absolutely. I, actually, continue on. I, I did want to jump in, though, and, and jump back maybe two, three minutes and just to, to something that uh, Mark had talked about um, and, and what the work that it would take for, for an individual. And you said that it takes about five to ten dedicated individuals, not just one. Um, in, and I just wanted to ask briefly, any any recommendations for those lodges that might have just one or two individuals that, that can see this vision and, and want to manifest it? Or Yes. I, the time, it, it, the answer to the previous question of when is now. Now. Tonight. Start working <laughs> on it. Okay? It, you, you as a human being will throw up more obstacles in your path uh, than anybody else will throw up for you. Um, so start now. Stop thinking in terms of why it won't work and start thinking in terms of how to make it work. That is the hardest obstacle right there. 
and you are going to be faced with a culture that is used to uh, to talking and discussing about things and committing, putting them in a committee and, and they die in committee. <laughs> and you're going to have to swim through that and fight the waves and, and keep a positive attitude. Uh, so start now. How do you find when you've got two guys, one guy? I've heard a lot of guys say, man, I wish they had education in my lodge. Man, I wish we did like Enlightenment Lodge. And one of the questions I ask them is, when have you written a paper and stood up during Good of the Order and read it? Yeah, exactly. And so do that study. Become, you know, become the educated mason. Meditate. Uh, study philosophy. Study those symbols. Inculcate yourself into that culture. You're, 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 you're Solomon's temple. If we believe the allegory, right? And you're, you're there to polish your, your ashlar. So work on that. Stand up and lodge. Read that paper. You will be shocked at the men that come up to you after that lodge meeting, and as you start to stand up during good of the order, nobody's going to wrap you down to, to stand up and read a little something or talk about something. Stand up. Give that mental start coming to you. They'll feel comfortable coming to you. They'll develop, you'll develop a quote-unquote reputation for being a, an education guy or a symbols guy or an excited young mason, whatever it be, and you'll start getting emails and phone calls, and all of a sudden your region, your world will become a little smaller uh, and and you will be shocked at how many people have shared your frustration if you want to see real masonry in a lot of places don't hang out in lodge necessarily hang out in the parking lot after lodge those are where the young men are gathering frustrated and talking hang out a little bit don't rush off talk to those guys in the parking lot see what they're talking about see what they're frustrated about chances are they share a lot of the same ideas your group's, your group's going to go quickly, but it's got to start with you. And if the minute you're done listening to this this wonderful radio show, get off of Google, go dust off an old Dusty Masonic uh, book about symbols and challenge yourself to expose yourself to something new and write a paper on it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think that part of what, we, what happens is, I think, I guess I'll relate to myself in this way. When I became master, when I, the, the, the meeting after I was installed as master of my lodge, I looked out from the east and beheld my, my brethren sitting along the sidelines, um, some old, some young, um, some borrowed, some blue, whatever. And it, and it dawned on me in a bolt of lightning and a, and a deep fear that suddenly they expected me to entertain them, that these guys were showing up expecting me to give a floor, floor show and you know the master's uh, job is to give is you know to um, supervise the work you know and to encourage work but not necessarily to do all the work. And part of the problem in the fraternity is that we've become so reliant on masters or grandmasters or grand lodges or past masters to provide all the 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 story that we don't take responsibility for ourselves. It's sort of like we've met the enemy and they are us, right? We Chip is absolutely right. I'm sorry, Cliff is absolutely right. We have to um, we have to take responsibility. And you know, if you go into a lodge building and it's dirty and it's dusty, and you start cleaning it up, yeah, maybe some old man will yell at you. But what the hell? Go and clean it up anyway, you know. And because you're also going to have somebody say, "I've been meaning to fix that too. I'm glad you've done it. Now let's go over here and do this room." And then that's where the process and the pride returns. Um, Again, you, 
the fraternity promises so much, but so many people expect so much, and you realize that you you have to be the laborer. You have to go in and, and contribute to the lodge, um, and you got to do your best. And maybe maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe the old men or the young men or whomever runs you out, but you've done your best. And hopefully through the internet, through Facebook, through the Masonic Central, through other places, you'll find people in your area which you can, uh, you know, continue. Um, participate in the fraternity wherever you like, but you can't be... Real quick. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. I'm sorry. No, I'm rambling. I, I, I wanted to say on the Internet uh, ways to get in contact. Uh, I, I know, Mark, you're on Facebook, uh, Cliff Porter. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, again, Cliff Porter at EnlightenmentLodge.com uh, will get a hold of me uh, at www Sanctorum. I screwed that up. It has a ton of TO Masons on it. Uh, I know the Masonic Society Forum has some, some newly formed uh, lodges on there, guys that have recently gone through that process. That's another place you can reach out. Uh, Veritas Lodge is on Facebook. Those guys have gone through the process. They're even forming a New York Rite chapter now. Uh, Anyway, before you go too far, we do have one person on the line wanting to ask a question. I have about five minutes left, so I want to get that through. Adam, you there? Yeah, I'm. I'm here. Um, how are you? Hey, Not bad. Adam. Hey, Adam. We're good. I'm going to try to. Adam has Adam's been on our our program before. This is months and months, uh, years ago, a, a year or two ago yep. now. Yeah, um, I just uh, just wanted to call in and say hello, and uh, uh, it's an interesting subject. Um, um, I know we only have a limited amount of time. I, I didn't really have a question, um, but I just thought it was interesting coming from a, a, a perspective of being from Academia 847 in Oakland, which was a, a is a traditional observance lodge, uh, the first in California, and it's uh, it's been about six years now, and it's uh, been a very rewarding experience. I have my own form of commentary on the whole process, and uh, let me just summarize it as being very rewarding. Uh, but a lot of hard work. And uh, just to reiterate what Mark and Cliff had said regarding uh, not just jumping in the mix and trying to get a charter. Also, what we've discovered is being American Masons, we've we've reconnected uh, with our own California ritual, which is Preston Webb, and found a lot of, I find a lot of beauty in it rather than looking for the new shiny object or trying to make dream of a faraway land where I can practice Scottish Rite or some interesting hybrid. Um, it's been a very interesting experience to explore one's own ritual, to do it in a, in a place that um, allows for that. And um, does that make it different? And that remains to be the question, at least uh, in my mind. On the onset, it, it really doesn't, except that we're I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. So I'll let you guys Adam, go back. How about, if I, how about if I just hold you up for a second since you're dialed in? Wait. The program's going to end. What I'd like you to do is maybe chat, chat with us for a little bit after the, the recorded program so that then people can grab your commentary okay. when they download it later on. They can right. download well, it. And, and one we'll question get I have. your feedback about how it worked with Academia after the, uh, the regular scheduled portion of the program. I'd like to have a little chat with you about that. Okay. Uh, one question I do have is, what's the future for the MRF? Well, big tent. 
<laughs> that we, that's actually been pretty much the topic of the program, and in, in from where it, where it originated from to where it is right now. Yeah, I think um, it's actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We we've gone through that extensively in, in the sense of of talking about where it's been, where it's at now, and where it's going, um, and, and just sort of reestablishing it, really, and and sort of uh, not rebirthing it, but but revitalizing it and and putting the energy back into it that that it was formed with. Yeah, and um, the, the Holy Grail, which has always been a secondary of ours, keeping <laughs> the Holy Grail. <laughs> So yeah, our show is coming. It's a secret. <laughs> the live portion of our show is coming to an end. Uh, those that want to listen to it afterwards, you can download it later, or you can be dialed in, and we'll have a little bit of conversation by the sounds of things after this program ends. Greg, next week we have uh, somebody. Uh, who do we have on next week? Next week we're we're doing something a little bit different, actually, and, and we're talking to another podcast host. So, though, Dean, I know you, you kind of expressed expressed a little bit of trepidation about it. He's actually a brother, brother coming out of Boston, who who runs the Occult of Personality podcast. So, so there'll be more posted up on it. So, so for those who haven't looked at it, Google Occult of Personality podcast. It's got about sixty or so shows. In the in the Excellent. pipe and, and all of them fantastic uh, fantastic listens if you're interested in the occult or the esoteric. So Greg Kaminsky, the individual, is going to be on. All right, and that's next week. And then we got the table talk on the 21st about the movie From Hell, and then Michael Halloran on his new book on the 28th. And and Dean, you said you got a lot of folks for the pipeline, so April, May, June should be full up soon. You got it. And if, if there's any interest, uh, just drop us a line. Um, at freemasoninformation.com would be the best place to go right now, I suppose. Yeah, or just send us an email at uh, masoniccentral at gmail.com, both of which would be good places to, to let us know. we got time left? <laughs> we have a few seconds, um, and and those wishing to follow up on, on our topic tonight, they can go to Cliff. What's the, Pat, what's the website? For what now? <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it out there. The website for anybody who's interested in more information about Masonic Restoration <laughs> or the Masonic Restoration Foundation, the website to go to is MasonicRestoration.com, and and hopefully it'll be updated soon with all the new info that you guys are, are starting to pull together now. We are. We're working on it this week. Okay, yep. and uh, so you'll find it right on the front page, of Facebook, uh, Facebook fan page. So. We're off streaming now, so I'm going to liven up everybody that's listening uh, that that's been on that 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 that's dialed in, and um, we have someone else as well that just popped in, and uh, and and. Hey Dean, we we're still recording. Do you want to do you want to roll this over to the post show, or do we want to do this in the live audio stream? Because uh, we're not, not live, but the podcast stream. Uh, we'll just do it in the pod in in this podcast stream right now, because. Um, uh, it's late for me, so I'm, I'm, I'd just rather do it right now and have no Adam talk to us a little bit about academia and how, how that worked with TO, and we can add that in on the downloadable content. So so those downloading the show will hear all this, or dialed in will hear all this, but everyone else kind of gets this cut off. So, so uh, Adam? Yeah, hi. You didn't, you didn't disappear on me, did you? No, no, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Um, and you're also uh, the Grand Lodge of California, correct? Well, yeah, but I'm speaking today as just on a Sunday, being Adam. And, um, Perfect. Yeah, not representing any Grand Lodge or Grand Body. No, <laughs> not at all. 
<laughs> Good. Um, so I, I haven't called in in any other time. So uh, uh, except for that that one interview you guys did. So, um, yeah. but. So how did uh, that how's it going, man? How, how are things going in, in in the Bay Area? I haven't heard from you in a long time. Are you still at the museum? Adam? I guess we lost him. Oh, no. <laughs> Just when we were tracking in. Okay. Um, Cliff and Mark, you're still there, right? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I'm we, sick to go to bed, though. Not for very much longer. No, we'll, we're just wrapping things up now. I was hoping yeah. to have a little bit of conversation from uh, from Adam, but uh, just to wrap things up and put a little capstone on it. But uh, yeah. but he dropped off. So yeah, I don't know what happened to him. That's odd. I don't know. Uh, did we lose Cliff too? Guess so. Huh. Did we? Uh oh. I think so. Oh well. Well, I guess I'll go then. I thought uh, it was a good show. Was, it was well, a pleasure Mark. having you guys. I hope that I hope that we dr- we drilled through a lot of the questions and concerns that people would have had about TO and gave them cons- some yeah, constructive content to utilize. I think so. I think that if people were listen to that or do listen to that, they understand that uh, this is you know it, it's not attempting to hurt anybody. It's attempting to liberate people. If anything, if anything, you know, let them enjoy Freemasonry. Stop worrying about whatever. I just, Absolutely, yeah. and and you know it it may be something good to to circle back on Mark in a few months after uh after the the big powwow meeting and yeah. and do another show about it. I, I was reading through a lot of the comments and and blips that were coming through, and especially on Facebook, and a lot of folks were were really expressing an interest in it and and truthfully wanting to hear more. I yeah, you know, maybe even drill down into some of the topics of it to to give them descriptors of what some changes could be that they could start implementing now. Well, we we just um, made that decision the last couple of days to do that, and it's still not officially decided because we don't have everybody uh, on the board who's really done a lot of it. But um, I mean, who's really agreed to that? But if, if Cliff says he wants to do it and he's going to do it, then I'll, I'd let him make that announcement. So yeah, we now have to start doing all the details for the August event. Absolutely, but yep. hopefully we'll get and it's it's open to everybody. It's not people who you know it's not it's not specific for people who have a teal lodge it's for you know if it's again the 10 guys from keokuk iowa if they want a road trip all the way out there just to find out they're just curious about it, that's fine if it's grandmasters past grandmasters who are curious about hearing about them that that's exactly exactly right yeah and that's what we're hoping to get you know we want to get a big tent and as many people talking about this as possible the people who really are interested in it and not simply people who don't who who are not interested in it, you know. That's the difference. Right, right. You know. And that in the sense that you know, if you're not interested in science fiction's science fiction books, why are you going to a science fiction discussion group? You know, you're not gonna have a good time. Right? So <laughs> in the same you know what I'm saying is there are people who just don't like things because they just don't like them, but that doesn't mean they have to ruin it for everybody else, right? Right, right. Well, let's let's call this a day then. Greg, if you want to do that po- post show with those guys, there seems to be some attention there, so maybe you might want to ring that up and ask Adam who's <laughs> trying, to get, trying to get back on. I have to go. Um, I have yeah. to take care of some things here. But, uh, yeah, i got to go to Mark, bed. Mark, it has been a pleasure having you on the program. Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. It was uh, good. 
I'll, yeah, Mark, I'll thanks very much. follow up later on with you uh, personally. And, okay. uh, and um, you probably don't even remember meeting me in person, do you? <laughs> mm, oh, I'm sorry, I don't. Where did I, where did I meet you? I'm sorry. I traveled <laughs> with... Uh, I traveled with some brothers from Canada, and we, I met you when you were publishing your book when you were still at the museum. Oh, okay, okay. New Hampshire, yeah, with Rising Sun Lodge in New Hampshire. We were visiting them. Oh, okay. Well, I know yeah. Rising Sun Lodge, yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. That's probably been away. That's been five years ago, though. It was a while ago now. Yeah. So. Okay, guys. <laughs> well, good. We well, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you again then. Yeah. At some point. I'll try to make it back down again, and I'll try to... I'm going to be at uh, the Maine Masonic College in July, which should be a lot of fun, actually, if you come down to Maine on July 17th. Bob Davis uh, is going to come up for that, so... Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go... Well, let's, let's call it a night, and okay. uh, well, thanks, Mark, very much sure. for everything, All right. guys. All right. Good night. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Right. Bye.